Hello, and welcome to Renegade Files. I'm your host, Lex Gordon, broadcasting from the Jungle Villa Outpost, deep in the uncharted tropics. This is Renegade Files episode number six, military UFO footage and the Pentagon UFO report. Rejoice, UFO enthusiasts, researchers, and believers. Everything is okay now. The American military and the Pentagon itself have admitted that there are UFOs. We can all say, I told you so, and learn all the details about Roswell, then go about our lives in peace with our alien allies. Not so fast, UFOlogist. Is it wise for us to blindly accept the military's UFO footage and the Pentagon's long-awaited UFO report at face value? Shouldn't we, as UFO witnesses and believers, apply the same objective scrutiny to our military's claims of UFOs that they have applied to everyone else's for decades? And why is the entire 70-plus year history of UFO research so conspicuously absent from the current disclosure narrative? And what about those people who initially gave us these three now-famous fighter jet videos of unexplained crafts? Exactly who are they? How did they get this footage? And what is their organization up to? In this episode of Renegade Files, we examine relatively recent footage taken by military aircraft as they film things they could not explain. We will examine footage of the Tic Tac, Gimbal, and Go Fast UFOs, as well as descriptions from the pilots and personnel who were involved in these events. Then we take a closer look at the unusual chain of events that caused these videos to be distributed, as well as the curious cast of people involved. Finally, we'll dive into the Pentagon UFO report, or maybe wade into the Pentagon UFO report is the better phrase. This gets fun. So grab your top secret security clearance badge, your forward-looking infrared camera, your night vision binoculars, and join Renegade Files on a recon mission to gather intelligence on military UFO footage and the Pentagon UFO report. UFO report. UFO report. UFO report. UFO report. A few short years ago, if I were to tell you that videos of UFOs would be filmed by U.S. military pilots, released to the public, and confirmed by the Pentagon as having no mundane explanation, you might accuse me of daydreaming or writing fiction. But that is exactly the situation we find ourselves in. We have military UFO videos, a rock star owned company hiring former Department of Defense and ATIP Black Ops intelligent operatives and coverage, as thin as it may be, of UFOs in the mainstream media. In this episode of Renegade Files, we will examine this paradigm-changing situation and look into these events by examining the current disclosure, the related three videos, some debunking, and subsequent de-debunking, and the short and sweet Director of National Intelligence UAP report, commonly called the Pentagon UFO report. Finally, we'll try to arrive at a few conclusions about what this all means and what we might expect as far as information on this subject in the future. Part 1. The Current Disclosure So, what is this new UFO information and confirmation? For some time, researchers believed that there was an ongoing and active U.S. military and intelligence operation tasked with looking into UFO events and perhaps this organization, or parts of it, had the whole ball of wax. 
verified UFO videos, photographs, recovered crafts, reverse-engineered materials or systems, and off-world beings or aliens, living or otherwise. These researchers make up the UFO community that has been built over the past 70 years, basically since Roswell. In a large part, the serious UFO research community is made up of scholars, scientists, and actual investigative journalists who bravely sacrifice mainstream credibility to dive into mysteries that the more comfort-cultivating talking heads fear to even discuss. Or that was the situation for the majority of all of our lifetimes at this point. This UFO truther community collectively hoped for a day when some unequivocal event or high-ranking official would come forward in a way that validated all of their decades of research. Some may say that is what has happened, while others continue to wonder and try to make sense of the events of this very soft disclosure that is only the result of a few very short videos and pressure from a few in Congress. Or maybe the videos were leaked on purpose to keep a bigger secret by telling a smaller secret. After all, no one seems to have gotten into any kind of trouble over all of this video publishing and tongue-wagging. But let's avoid speculation and look at the timeline of what we do know about the current state of UFO information we have been allowed to see. As far as I can find in my research, what happened was this. A black ops U.S. governmental intelligence agency charged with investigating UFO activity was long speculated to exist, and some clues made their ways to researchers such as Richard Dolan and George Knapp, albeit from anonymous sources and maybe just rumor. Much like Area 51 itself, a secret UFO department was the stuff of conspiracy theory for years. Until it wasn't. And this brings up an important flaw in the mainstream media's debunking of almost every alternative media research conclusion since JFK. That is, the mainstream assertion that no secret that involves the cooperation of multiple people and departments could ever be kept secret for however many years. This is pure conjecture. It is a soundbite. It is propaganda programming phrased in a way that is easily memorized and repeated by the masses who believe what the television tells them. And it is simply not true. It has been proven to be false time and time again. Here are two examples. One, the Manhattan Project, which researched, developed, tested, and created the first nuclear weapons, involved the United States, the United Kingdom, and Canada. It lasted from 1942 to 1946 and employed more than 130,000 people. And the entire thing was kept secret from not only the American public at large, but from Germany, Japan, and the former Soviet Union, and with those three countries actively trying to figure out what the Allied forces were up to. And number two, Area 51. Area 51 was denied to exist by the Air Force for 58 years, from 1955 until 2013, when a declassified CIA document described the secret facility and the Air Force finally admitted to the base as being a location for testing top-secret aircraft. In the UFO community, this admission cuts both ways, since experimental aircraft testing is a pretty good explanation for at least some UFO sightings around Area 51. But the greater point is that the facility itself, and it's enormous, over 23 square miles of restricted space, was kept fully secret for 58 years. And the Manhattan Project? which involved 133,000 people and three countries working together, was kept utterly secret from 1942 to 1946. 
So this assertion that a big secret could never be kept is just frankly wrong. And so it was with the rumored Black Ops UFO program. Any researchers discovering links that pointed towards such an organization were mocked by the mainstream news outlets if they were acknowledged at all. How could such a program with so many people keep that a secret when we can't even keep a secret in the newsroom from 10 people? Ha 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 ha. Those crazy conspiracy theorists. That was until ATIP was revealed to exist and in precisely the way that the conspiracy theorists had deduced. It was the program that picked up the UFO task after the public shutdown of Project Blue Book. The way the world found out about this program was through Luis Elizondo, a former U.S. Army counterintelligence special agent and former employee of the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. Elizondo was the director of the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, or ATIP. He resigned in 2017 and joined the To The Stars Academy of Arts and Science, or TTSA, created by former Blink-182 band founder and musician Tom DeLonge. I know, and it gets even better. So Elizondo joined TTSA as their Director of Global Security and Special Programs. I think the general idea was to work through TTSA to bring out information about UFOs that Elizondo had learned while working for ATIP. According to Elizondo, his main reason for leaving ATIP was that he was being put into the impossible position of having to debrief his superiors, including General James Mattis, but with inconclusive data. He was being given videos and telemetry of objects moving at supersonic speeds, making abrupt inertia-defying maneuvers, and traveling through space, the atmosphere, and underwater in the ocean and no one could explain what they were, where they came from, what their intentions were, or what to do about them. And the people providing this information to Elizondo were basically saying, with regard to General Mattis, here, you go tell him. Now, I understand that you don't take some half-baked information to your boss, and even if you have all of the information available, but it doesn't add up, you still might not be thrilled about taking that data to someone like General Mattis. But at a certain point, that is your job. I guess you can choose to do your job or not do it, but what you don't do is take sensitive military video footage that no one can explain and go to the New York Times just because you're scared to tell your boss something he might not want to hear. I mean, Elizondo is afraid to tell Mattis about these videos, but he isn't afraid to tell some journalist at one of the biggest newspapers in the world. And let me say something about Elizondo, and it's just my opinion, but he doesn't seem like a guy who's afraid of a lot. He's also smart, smart enough to know all of this. He comes across as a very credible, genuine, intelligent guy who is doing what he believes is the right thing. And all of this begins to create the intricate web of this case. For decades, the government denied the existence of ATIP or an organization like it. And it's important to note that ATIP isn't a pure UFO research department, quite the opposite. ATIP, as we know, is the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. ATIP's main focus is to identify and classify threats to the aerospace and aviation programs of the military, mostly from foreign adversaries and their advanced technologies. So you can understand why the program would be secretive. And you might think, like I did, how is it that Luis Elizondo, an intelligent guy who seems like the opposite of someone afraid to deliver tough news, would get away with just bailing on his job to debrief General Mattis, then waltz over to the New York Times and go on stage around the world to divulge a bunch of secret UFO videos 
that no one in the military would either confirm nor deny. And how does he do this without getting into any trouble with the Department of Defense? Well, there's an answer to that, too. Sometime in August of 2017, Luis Elizondo began to work through the proper channels of the Defense Office of Pre-Publication and Security to have three videos declassified. He was apparently successful because those videos are now on the Navy's own Freedom of Information Act, or FOIA, website. And in fact, they are the top three entries out of all of the documents the Navy has ever posted on that page. Around this time, in October 2017, Luis Elizondo made an appearance on stage at an event publicizing the newly formed TTSA. At this event, Luis Elizondo said publicly for the first time that he had been the director of ATIP, that they had videos of UFOs, that the TTSA would be releasing the videos shortly, and the entire thing was on mainstream news right away. Now, when I say it was on mainstream news, we're talking about short segments of two or three minutes just alluding to some rock star and a former intelligence officer making UFO claims. When the videos were released, we saw a bit more mainstream media coverage, but not nearly what the UFO community thought they would get. Frankly, not nearly what anyone thought we would get. Presumably, after Elizondo knew the documents were declassified, but before anyone else in the public really knew about them, he had a meeting with New York Times journalist Leslie Keen and fellow TTSA employee Chris Mellon. Chris Mellon is the former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence. From this meeting came the December 16, 2017 New York Times article entitled Glowing Auras and Black Money, the Pentagon's Mysterious UFO Program. This article describes a $600 billion budget with $22 million set aside for ATIP, which was headed by Elizondo, on the fifth floor of Pentagon C-Ring. The program was supposedly defunded in 2012, but officials now say it was continued through the Navy and the CIA. And this is not from a conspiracy blog post, but an article in the New York Times. But if you look closely at this article, it is essentially a call for larger military spending justified by Cold War-style fear-stoking. And as journalist Caitlin Johnstone wrote in her June 4th, 2012 Consortium News article, quote, You can see the deep state's fingerprints all over this New York Times article. In fact, the title of her article is Mainstream Media Using UFO Report to Stir Arms Race. So from the beginning, there have been those who have wondered at the coincidences of a few former black ops intelligence operatives who retired, then got their hands on newly declassified UFO videos and information, then told the world about it through a private entertainment company who coded the videos with their watermark and published them on YouTube to make hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars from Google AdSense all of which preceded a Pentagon UFO report that reveals nothing about UFOs we didn't know already. And if it concludes anything, the conclusion is we need more money. Lots of it. Part two, the videos. So the New York Times article was accompanied by the now famous and thanks to Elizondo declassified Tic Tac video. Officially known as FLIR-1, that's F-L-I-R-1. What followed was the release of all three declassified videos, and for a while, they were everywhere online. These videos are the FLIR-1 video, or Tic Tac video, the Gimbal video, 
and the Go Fast video. I'll put links directly to each video in the show notes so you can watch them as you listen to the show if you want. I'll also put the deeper research for the episode in the Dark Intel files on Patreon so you can dive into all of that. And there's cool stuff in there, so check it out too. On November 14th, 2004, two fighter jet pilots launched from the USS Nimitz Carrier Strike Group as part of a training exercise over the Pacific Ocean, 100 miles southwest of San Diego, California, and about 65 miles off the coast. The pilots were Lieutenant Commander Alex Dietrich and Commander David Fravor. According to Dietrich and Fravor, they were directed to an area of concern where on-ship radar from one of the carrier group ships had detected something unknown. The training exercise was suspended and the fighter pilots were instructed that they were now in a real-time reconnaissance mission. What they first saw was an area of frothing whitewater in an otherwise glassy, calm sea. They saw what appeared to be an object the size of a large commercial passenger jet just under the churning surface. Aviator Alex Dietrich said she first thought it was a crashed airliner, and then she noticed an object hovering over the disturbed water. Commander Fravor flew to join Dietrich, and as he did, he first saw what has come to be known as the Tic Tac UFO. He says it was white, smooth, had no wings, no control surfaces, no visible propulsion system, no markings, and was the size of a 747 jumbo jet. He and Dietrich began to orbit the object, as he describes the maneuver, to watch the unusual craft. So they were doing big circles around it so they they could bank around and, and watch it while they maintained a distance from it. As they did this, the craft continued to move erratically over the disturbance in the water, moving in 90 degree corners with instantaneous stops and rapid accelerations. Commander David Fravor says it was absolutely a physical object and not a reflection or a shadow or a cloud. Fravor decided to move in closer to the object. As he did, the object immediately ascended to his altitude, stopped, then flew directly across his nose. The object then vanished from his view and appeared to on-ship radar at 60 miles away from the fighter jet. At this point, Dietrich and Fravor landed their planes and a second pair of F-18 fighter jets resumed the mission and this is the team that filmed the video we see. What we get in the FLIR-1 video is 90 seconds of what can only be described as grainy footage. The image hovers, then exits stage left at what is described as a high rate of speed. It has no heat signature as a jet would display on the infrared camera taking the footage, which basically dismisses the debunking claims that the object is the glare from a passenger jet. And don't you think that four fighter jet pilots would know a passenger jet if they saw one flying by? The object in the Tic Tac video displays many of the telltale signs of a UFO as defined by Elizondo and used to classify objects during his time at ATIP. These are what have come to be known as the five observables. They are, one, anti-gravity, or the ability to fly and maneuver without any signs of mechanical lift or propulsion, and at speeds inconsistent with a floating gas object like a balloon. Number two, instantaneous acceleration. Number three, hypersonic velocity or speeds over 30,000 miles an hour, or five times the speed of sound. Number four, low observability, or the ability to cloak or conceal itself. And number five, transmedium travel, the capacity to travel through space, air, and water. Regarding the FLIR-1, GoFast, and Gimbal videos, as well as a few others, 
Elizondo says, the ability to do any one of these five things would be an absolute game changer in strategic defense for any nation. And yet, here we have objects that can do all five of these things. The next two declassified videos were filmed off the east coast of Florida in 2015. These videos are the Go Fast video and the Gimbal video. They're also on the Navy FOIA page right at the top. You can also find many copies on your favorite online video website like BitChute. Both of these videos have pilot audio and hearing the guys react to the objects is well worth the few minutes it takes to watch them. The Go Fast video shows an object that looks to be moving really fast over the ocean's surface. These videos were captured by U.S. Naval aviators flying F-A-18 Super Hornet fighter jets. The pilots were Lieutenant Ryan Graves and Lieutenant Danny O'Coin. They described the objects as maintaining 12 hours in-air operation at high speeds with no visible engines or exhaust heat signatures. Graves, a coin, and three other pilots who requested to not be identified reported the findings to the New York Times and Graves made reports to the Pentagon and Congress. The Department of Defense admits that the objects in the videos are unidentified. Graves says that during their training off the East Coast before their deployment to the Persian Gulf, that many pilots and other Navy personnel encountered strange objects on an almost daily basis from Virginia to Florida. According to Graves, of the 50 witnesses that he spoke to, only he and a coin went on the record with their own names. One description of an event during this time comes from an official mishap report wherein two naval aviators in two fighter jets were flying in tandem 100 feet apart and an unidentified object flew between them. One of those pilots described the object to Graves as, quote, a sphere encasing a cube. The gimbal video shows a dark object moving, according to the audio, against the wind which is blowing 120 knots to the west. 120 knots is 138 miles per hour. As I understand it, high winds are common at high altitudes. One pilot says, quote, there's a whole fleet of them, which fully negates debunking claims that the object was an airliner. At the end of the clip, the object rotates, but not like a plane banking, but turning on a central axis. This is where we get the name of the video, Gimbal. All of the pilots who witnessed the objects in these three videos that are confirmed as filmed by Navy fighter jets while in training exercises insist that the objects were not of this world and operated in ways that no aircraft or physical object we know of can. These pilots are also quick to admit that they aren't saying that these objects are being piloted by aliens, but they do say they have no clue what they are. In one video interview with John Greenwald Jr. of the Black Vault Project, Elizondo is asked why he refers to the Tic Tac, Go Fast, and Gimbal objects as balloons, drones, and UASs in his original documents and emails to the Defense Office of Prepublication and Security in his efforts to get these videos declassified. The term UAS is military speak for unmanned aerial system or drone. Now, these descriptions in the documents prepared by Elizondo are often used by debunkers to claim that Elizondo has known from the beginning that the objects in these videos are easily explained, and he's just making a bigger deal about them for publicity or to make money, which would also explain why no one in the Air Force or the Pentagon as a whole really care much about what he has done and what he says about UFOs these days. Now, three things here. 
One, you may recall that the Black Vault project is a resource I cited heavily in the Japan Air Flight 1628 episode, which was Renegade Files episode number four. So be sure to give that one a listen if you haven't yet. It's one of our most downloaded episodes so far. If you already listened to it and liked it, share it with a friend who's into UFOs or mysterious stories. That would be awesome. So thank you. The Black Vault is a credible and essentially impartial collection of mounds of FOIA documents, and you could spend days reading through what they have there. The Black Vault has been used as a source and cited with an active link by Time Magazine, among others. The second thing is that what Elizondo claims, and it's verifiable as such, is that balloons, drones, and UASs is the name of the Defense Office of Pre-Publication and Securities category for flying objects recorded that are not U.S. or foreign manned aircraft. And since that agency doesn't have, or didn't have at the time, a UFO category, that is the category that best describes the events in the videos, and Elizondo had to put something in the field on the request form or it would just get kicked back as incomplete, and I totally believe the guy about that. The third thing I wanted to mention with regard to Elizondo on this point comes from something he said on January 30th, 2018 in his in-depth video interview with researcher and author George Knapp. There are a few things Elizondo says in the interview that lend credibility to his story as far as I'm concerned. First, he says, in response to critics who say he's just doing this for money, that it would have been far smarter and even easier to just keep his high-ranking intelligence job and retire with a federal pension and a Defense Department retirement plan. I would agree with that. But we also don't know that he foregoes all of his benefits by leaving the agency he worked with. Maybe he does. And in December of 2017, just two months after Elizondo's initial reveal of his role in the ATIP program, Dr. Jack Brown, a body language and nonverbal communication expert and physician, conducted an analysis of several videos featuring Luis Elizondo speaking on the subject. From the summary of this report, we read, Luis Elizondo's nonverbal, verbal, and paralanguage behavior shows he is clearly hesitant to reveal and is indeed withholding some key findings of the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program. Mr. Elizondo also has bitter regret regarding either the ramifications of the discoveries made by the ATIP program and or the manner in which the government has dealt with these findings. Luis Elizondo also believes he's being truthful and sincere when he implies that, via the research performed by ATIP, intelligent extraterrestrial craft have, and are continuing to, visit the Earth. This does not necessarily prove extraterrestrials have visited the Earth, but Mr. Elizondo believes this to be so. So basically, Dr. Jack Brown, the body language and nonverbal communication expert and physician, determines in his analysis that, if nothing else, Louis Elizondo believes that he's telling the truth. So that would indicate that he's not just making stuff up for attention or money. Whether it's true or not, he believes it to be true. And that's about as good as you're going to get. So the Air Force's position from their own statement about the videos is basically, after reviewing the videos, they can now release them since they don't show any secret or developmental military tech of their own. Which is either a scary thought because then whose is it? Or it's a sneaky way to distract from the fact that it is theirs, but the videos are already out there, so what else can they say? 
There are a few ideas that might lead us to think the latter. Not the least of which is that it seems very unlikely that the Navy would send unarmed fighter jets to confront and track some flying object that was not theirs, and that could go from 80,000 feet to 50 feet in two seconds. It has been suggested that this was an exercise to see if the fighter jet FLIR and other instruments could find, see, track, and do whatever else it is they might be tasked to do with regard to some exotic technology the Navy is developing, and maybe the pilots themselves had no real idea of what they were looking at. But it also seems unlikely that a secret military aircraft would fly between two fighter jets that are only 100 feet apart. Too risky. Still, another thing that casts suspicion on the entire affair is the way this all came about. We have the declassified videos by Elizondo, their subsequent publication, and the general national PR event that resulted with articles in the Times and segments on national news shows. The odd bedfellows of TTSA, which at the time was made up of, in part, Elizondo and Mellon, both former Department of Defense agents, and the TTSA founder, Tom DeLong, being a former singer and guitarist from the band Blink-182. DeLong has been a proponent of government propaganda for years, and the creation of his TTSA organization, as described in his own words, sounds, as Tyler Rogaway from TheDrive.com puts it, quote, far more akin to the making of a tightly controlled government information and psychological operation than the result of a group of highly qualified people who were interested in accessing new insights on the subject of UFOs. The release of the videos and all of the appearances of Elizondo and Mellon on the news also seem very well-timed to promote the TTSA-produced History Channel show Unidentified. What's interesting about the timing of this huge media push and the subsequent release of the Unidentified documentary is that it all felt as if the documentary on the History Channel came as a result of the things the TTSA had found and then disseminated. But, according to the aerospace company Lockheed, who operates a division called Skunk Works that develops secret or advanced aerospace projects, Tom DeLong had approached them about producing a documentary on the subject long before TTSA was ever even formed. It was during this exploration period into perhaps creating a documentary with the help of Lockheed Skunk Works, something that Lockheed ultimately declined to do, that Tom DeLong attended a Skunk Works employee event. This comes from an official Skunk Works statement published in the War Zone. And I'll put all of this and more research for you rabbit hole divers into the dark intel files on our Patreon page, the link in the show notes. Join the Renegade Files agency on Patreon to help the show stay ad-free and get exclusive bonus episodes, videos, and content. Tom DeLong says after this meeting with Lockheed Skunk Works, he then met with high-ranking officials from the Air Force, the U.S. intelligence community, and NASA. At least according to DeLong, he met with NASA, but according to NASA, they don't recall that. But regardless of exactly whom, these officials worked with Tom DeLong to provide a highly qualified team of deeply entrenched government insiders to direct his efforts and supply him with information. That information would be provided to him in very small, compartmentalized segments, and the entire process would be tightly controlled under strict terms. So now we're getting somewhere. That sounds way more feasible to me than one guy quitting a Pentagon job, then hooking up with some rock star to shell out secret UFO videos to the public. 
is it possible that the TTSA videos are about as much real UFO disclosure as Blink-182 is a real punk band? And if we look at the creation of TTSA and the very descriptions of its origins made by its founder, we find that agents working at the highest levels of government, including the intelligence community and the Air Force, have had a direct influence on the information TTSA has given us, their ongoing operations, and a direct hand in creating TTSA in the first place. Ask yourself, which is more likely, that this has all been done as disclosure for unexplained phenomenon, or that this has all been done as a disinformation psyop stapled to a request for military-industrial complex-level funding? Part 3. Debunking and de-debunking if this is a psyop or a distraction, it's a good one, because there's just enough information to get people arguing and debating these first three videos, and that could, and possibly will, go on forever at this point. Here's just one such back and forth I found while researching these events. Mick West has a popular YouTube channel, and he appears on a TV show now and then to debunk these three videos. His analysis of the GoFast video is pretty compelling, and many people take it as gospel, and he may be right. He seems like a reasonable guy, and he admits that his ideas may not be exactly correct, but that they should at least be looked at as possibilities. I agree with him on that. His analysis of the GoFast video uses trigonometry to prove that the object that they are filming is not right above the water, as the pilots claim but 14,000 feet above the water and the plane's at 25,000 feet, so using the parallax error, he proves that the object is really only moving about 40 or 50 miles an hour, and it just looks like it's going fast because it's very close to the plane and very far away from the water with a long angle of uh, zoom being used by the plane. And, you know, there are instances where you can see a balloon flying across a background that's barely moving and it appears to be going fast because it's closer to the camera, farther away from the background. It's also the same thing that sort of happens when you're in a car and you look far ahead and the objects coming toward you are coming very slow, but if you look out the window directly at the ground, it looks like you're going much faster. The, the difference in apparent speed is caused by the difference in focal length toward whatever you're looking at. So yes, that absolutely does make sense. But my first reaction upon watching Mick West's Go Fast video debunking was twofold. Number one, Mick West, as smart as he may be, is not a fighter pilot. And number two, the screens we see in the videos are bordered by multiple readouts that show things like the object being focused on, its temperature relative to its surroundings, the fighter jet's altitude, roll, pitch, camera angles, speeds, and other numbers. Wouldn't an experienced fighter jet pilot be able to tell at a glance all of the math that Mick West calculates just by seeing the data on those readouts? That's how and why those screens are configured in the ways they are, and mathematics is a large part of a pilot's acumen and training. So if you want to, let's try an easy, fast, and fun experiment together right now. If you can do so safely, grab your phone and unlock the screen. Now, look at the screen as I ask you three short questions. I'll give you a few seconds. Got your phone. Got it turned on, are you ready? Okay, here are the three questions. How full is your battery life? How is your Wi-Fi signal? How strong is your cellular signal? As quickly as I asked these questions, you probably knew the answers to them. 
you can just glance at your screen and know if those levels are great, okay, or bad without doing the math of writing down the number five for the five cellular signal bars, then subtracting the two blank bars from that total, then comparing the ratio of three lit bars to two unlit bars to calculate that you have okay cellular service at the moment. No one has to do that because we look at our phones hundreds of times and so we just know what those three readouts mean, even all three of those readouts at once without ever thinking about it. So a fighter jet pilot's life may depend on the information of those tactical screens, screens they look at all the time. So if a pilot says the object was close to the water's surface and traveling at a high speed, then how is it that a guy who isn't a pilot looking at a video of that screen on YouTube would know any better? Here's one example of how Mick West could be mistaken. And remember, he admits that's a possibility. Part of Mick West's debunking of the go-fast object is based on the screen's rangefinder notation of the object being about four miles from the F-18 fighter jet. But according to at least one fighter jet pilot, the range-finding function is applied using a laser distancing tool. And when this tool is on, the capital letter L flashes on the screen, which it never does in the go-fast video. So the entire Mick West math falls apart because one third of his trigonometry equation is based on that distance, which he is getting from an application of the system that is not even turned on. And as I understand it, in the absence of an activated range-finding laser, the displayed range is an estimate made by the system based on such things as the last object that the range distance laser was applied to. Another thing that one pilot says is that if the object is a bird or a balloon going 40 miles an hour, as Mick West suggests, but the naval aviators flying the planes can't figure that out, then how could they ever engage and fight other planes if they're constantly confusing birds and balloons with aircrafts moving at hundreds or thousands of miles per hour? Do you know how many birds there are over the coastal areas where borders are often patrolled and protected? Many. So if Mick West can be big enough to admit that his ideas may be wrong, I think we also have to be big enough to admit that the pilots may be right. And what we are seeing in these videos are unidentified flying objects behaving in ways that our current physics can't explain, which is what the pilots say. Also, the variation of objects among the three videos is in keeping with the incredible range of UFO types I mentioned back in our very first episode, the Malmstrom Air Force Base UFO incident, which included the report by Robert Salas, Robert Salas in the news lately too. If you consider the descriptions of crafts in the Maelstrom case and compare them to the three objects in these three famous videos, you have four apparently different crafts in four different UFO sightings, all confirmed by military personnel. Is this a case of UFOs being the equivalent of a Chevy truck, a Toyota Corolla, and a Kawasaki Ninja? Or is it that what we are seeing is so far out of our everyday reference that we have no clue? We seem to be using our definitions of flying objects in the process of trying to understand something that is irrelevant to that description. Sort of like the ancient Romans who saw UFOs and called them flying chariots. For all we know, these things are thought forms generated by some sleeping consciousness in a parallel universe and what we are seeing are their dreams. Or maybe we're inside an organism we can't get out of to recognize, and we are seeing the electrical signals traveling through that organism's central nervous system. 
I'm not saying that's what I believe, but far-reaching wild ideas like those don't miss the mark any more than saying we have no idea what these things are. This brings us to part four, the Pentagon UFO report. The preliminary assessment colon unidentified aerial phenomena report, also known as the UAP report, which is often called the Pentagon UFO report, is a United States federally mandated assessment prepared and published by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence on June 25, 2021. The report was intended to summarize information regarding UAPs, or Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, which is the modern, politically correct term for a UFO. Substantial public attention had been given to the mandated June 25th report, fueled by statements by former high-level officials in the U.S. government, including former President Barack Obama, who stated in June 2021, quote, There's footage and records of objects in the skies, and we don't know exactly what they are. The report was supposed to give, quote, detailed analysis of unidentified aerial phenomena data and intelligence that had been compiled by the Office of Naval Intelligence, the Unified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, or UAPTF, and the FBI. The report identified national security and pilot safety concerns related to UAPs. U.S. Senator Marco Rubio, vice chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, stated that he had asked the Director of National Intelligence, Averill Hines, for additional information in advance of the report's release, terming his request a pre-briefing. Rubio stated regarding the nature of the unknown objects, quote, there's stuff flying in our airspace and we don't know who it is and it's not ours, so we should know who it is, especially if it's an adversary that's made a technological leap. The Pentagon UFO Report Background So, the $2.3 trillion appropriations bill known as the Consolidated Appropriations Act 2021, which was itself a part of the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, was signed into law on December 27, 2020. The Senate Intelligence Committee included a stipulation that mandated the Director of National Intelligence work with the Secretary of Defense on a report detailing what the government knows about unidentified aerial phenomena, UAPs, commonly known as UFOs, to be released to Congress in 180 days, meaning no further than June 25, 2021. So this is a fine example of what our federal government can contrive as a way to get us, the taxpayers, to dish out a few trillion dollars for them and their pet projects. And I am a UFO enthusiast if there ever was one. But... Attaching some multi-million dollar UFO term paper project to the Coronavirus Aid and Relief Act is, to me, straight up theft. They know no one will stop it because everyone is on board with helping with coronavirus relief. So they staple all of their crazy cash grabs to it. And the senators and members of Congress who have done exactly that are despicable. So what did we get for our money this time? Did we at least get the, quote, detailed analysis of unidentified aerial phenomenon, data, and intelligence that the Senate Intelligence Committee mandated that the Director of National Intelligence and the Security of Defense give us in this report? This report, by the way, was also created with the help of the ONI, the FBI, and the newly formed Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. 
So they had way more help than I do when I make a Renegade Files episode. Each of these episodes generates a 5,000 to 8,000 word research paper, and I make three episodes per month. They had six months to make their one report. What's in it? Well, it's nine pages long. One page is the cover, and two pages are the appendix. So six pages of information, less than 3,000 words. You can read it, and of course I'll put links to it in the Dark Intel files for this episode, but I'll give you the highlights by giving you direct quotes from the report, and I'll go in order from the beginning to the end of the document. Number one, the limited amount of high-quality reporting on unidentified aerial phenomena hampers our ability to draw firm conclusions about the nature or intent of UAPs. Number two, the UAPTF concentrated its review on reports that occurred between 2004 and 2021. So forget Roswell, forget Rendlesham, forget Travis Walton, and forget anything you have heard about UFOs before 2004. Number three, most of the UAP reported probably do represent physical objects given that a majority of UAP were registered across multiple sensors to include radar, infrared, electro-optical, weapon seekers, and visual observation. Okay, cool. So we'll take that as a positive as far as disclosure goes. Number four. In a limited number of incidents, UAP reportedly appeared to exhibit unusual flight characteristics. These observations could be the result of sensor errors, spoofing, or observer misperception and require additional rigorous analysis. Okay, fair enough. But I don't know what they mean by spoofing. Maybe that's a military term. It doesn't sound like it. Number five, UAP clearly pose a safety of flight issue and may pose a challenge to U.S. national security. Number six, consistent consolidation of reports from across the federal government, standardized reporting, increased collection and analysis, and a streamlined process for screening all such reports against a broad range of relevant U.S. government data will allow for a sophisticated analysis of UAP that is likely to deepen our knowledge and understanding. Some of these steps are resource intensive and would require additional investment. So they need more money to properly investigate UFOs. Okay, fine. And also one note, those numbers one through six are my numbers that I just gave to make a list out of the highlights that I pulled from the report. So as far as the mandate that they were given to give us a detailed analysis of unidentified aerial phenomena, data, and intelligence, there really is none in this report. For what it's worth, here are the five sentences that comprise their attempt to accomplish that mandate of the report. And remember, this is within their own time frame of 17 years between 2004 and 2021. Here we go. 144 reports originated from U.S. government sources. Of these, 80 reports involve observation with multiple sources. Most reports described UAP as objects that interrupted pre-planned training or other military activity. We were able to identify one reported UAP with high confidence. In that case, we identified the object as a large deflating balloon. The others remain unexplained. Wow, riveting stuff, you guys. And I can't tell you how much I love the fact that they just had to slip the balloon in there. Classic. So as far as detailed analysis of unidentified aerial phenomenon, what we get is 
we don't know what 143 things we saw from 2004 to 2021 are, but one of them was a balloon. Thank God we paid for that as part of our $2.3 trillion coronavirus package. The report goes on to define the categories within which the task force did and in the future will classify all UAPs. Those categories are airborne clutter, natural atmospheric phenomena, U.S. government or industry development programs, foreign adversary systems, and other. So it is in this other category that we would put our traditional ideas of UFO sightings. The report goes on to say that UAPs from all of the above categories pose risks to flight safety, military missions, and national security. Also, that explaining UAPs will require more analytic collection and resource investment, so again, money. But we understand that that would be a part of this. If we're going to try to figure out the UFO question, then it won't be for free. So that's fine. This part of the report is probably, at least to me, the most logical and well-written. It explains the ongoing process they want to create, that being, to paraphrase, standardize incident reporting and expand the collection of UAP incidents while removing the stigma attached to reporting UFO sightings by pilots and others. And they want to increase investment in R&D. Okay, do it. And now, here are my conclusions about this amazing tale and all of the facets and turns of events. Before I tell you what I really think about all this, let me first say thank you for listening to this show. We've gone over a lot of information in this case, and you've listened to the episode up to this point. Right now, without even interrupting the show, open the Renegade Files merchandise shop in its own window by tapping that link in the show notes, so you can get yourself something cool when the show wraps up here in a few minutes. You'll get something nice, and at the same time, you'll help us stay independent and ad-free, so we can give you more of the content you enjoy. Thank you. My conclusion. So, after all this, what do you think? I tend to believe the pilots. You don't just get to be a fighter pilot on a whim. And those men and women are serious professionals, top fitness athletes, bleeding edge performers with nerves of steel, highly intelligent mathematicians, and geometry experts all rolled into one. If they say they saw a physical object and it was at this altitude and going whatever speed, then I tend to believe them over some armchair YouTube naysayer. As for Elizondo, to me, he comes across as credible and he at least believes what he's saying. When TTSA shifted to more of an entertainment company, Elizondo bowed out. He has since retired from the organization, so that may speak to his credibility a bit. And Tom DeLong, well, he may go down as one of the most brilliant documentary and television show promoters in history. He hitched his media company to the deep state and was able to get videos no one else had, and now he has at least one army contract, and who knows what else. But all we've really gotten from him and TTSA so far is a History Channel show and a published book written by Tom DeLong himself. And why is the entire history of UFOs as we know it fully absent from the current disclosure and the Pentagon report? There could be a few reasons. First of all, it removes the current narrative from the tinfoil hat community. Why? Because that crowd is never going to agree to give the military-industrial complex tons of tax dollars. The current sanitized and very soft disclosure may validate the work Stephen Greer did with his disclosure project and the many people he organized to testify in front of Congress 
but it even does that at arm's length. At the same time, it uses mainstream media organizations like the New York Times and Fox News. By the way, two news outlets that could hardly be considered allies by any stretch of the imagination to frame the entire UFO disclosure as a national security threat, which of course tugs on the Cold War heartstrings of fear that can only be assuaged by okaying a few billion dollars to defense contractors and the military machine. Oh wait, did I say billions? (laughs) How 1990s of me. We deal in trillions of dollars these days, I forgot. I would wager that this entire thing could also be a way to keep a bigger secret by letting a minuscule part of that secret slip out. It's very likely that this might be the last we hear about UFOs from the intelligence community for a very long time. Maybe generations. In the end, what really strikes me and has for a long time is the sheer variation of objects that make up UFO sightings, whatever their source. It's almost as if no two UFOs have ever been the same. I don't know, but one thing I can assure you is that I am always looking up. To the skies, to the stars, I bet you are too. So together let's keep looking, keep searching, keep digging, and keep exploring. Wow, what a cool story. I am so grateful to have you come along with me on these crazy rides. I love doing serious deep research and analysis into large complex stories and then distilling that information into a concise and cohesive hour so together we can learn the alternative narratives around unsolved mysteries, paranormal events, covert culture, and dark tech topics. Subscribe to and follow Renegade Files wherever you listen to the show so you can always catch new episodes that post every 10 days. If you're already a Renegade Files follower, then share the show with a friend who might also like what we do. Until our next transmission, I'm your host, Lex Gordon, saying, Stay wild, Illuminati child.